He makes the first hotel in the area in 1878 and calls it the Estes Park Hotel. (laughs) But because Americans have been Americans from the beginning, the locals used to just call it the English Hotel, which I'm sure rubbed him eight ways sideways since he was actually Irish. Between the present and the past, memories held in the walls and earth, energies and entities that cross the barrier into our dreams and our consciousness. That which has been left behind between the living and the dead. I'm Emily. And I'm Joy. And this is Is The the Residuals. Residuals. Coming to you live from beautiful Long Beach, California. And the hills of Los Angeles on, well, kind of Los Angeles, on the the very northern border of Los Angeles. Ah, here we are. Okay. Do you have a book report, Joy? I do. However, what's your name? I'm Emily. (laughs) And I'm Joy. And this is... is the uh, residuals. residuals. Um, I do have a book report today. I'm very it's a excited. long book report because very you know excited. how I am. Uh, we've been talking about delving into the world of the Stanley Hotel for a while now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. privately for a very long time. But also, <laughs> like we've been talking about it on the pub, on the podcast uh, for I don't know a couple of months now. Yeah, I exercised yesterday. Off, off, off topic. That makes one squirrel. of us. Well, it was accidental because did you know that at UCLA there is a hidden botanical garden? What? Yep. It is across the street from Ronald Reagan. There's a classroom building called the Semmel Building, and it's got the David Geffen School of Medicine in it. You should go uh-huh. check it out. Um, and you go through the building. You have to go up to the first floor, and you go all the way through to the back. It's behind the building. You walk through the court, like you go out, there's a cafeteria on the first floor where they have a Starbucks and you walk out through the door in there across the cafeteria and through like a big gate, like opening thing. And you cross the street and it's there and it's, you cannot tell that you're in the middle of Los Angeles and Westwood, tropical, lovely pathways. It's got a a little river pond in there with terrapins and fish and it's gorgeous and quiet and relaxing and it's got tables and benches and so took the strollers there yesterday i've got a giant upper baby for him which is a tank and i was shoving this fucking tank up hills but Mm -hmm. i was so proud even the nurse with this was like emily i'm very proud of your endurance and your strength (laughs) considering you have four hernias um yeah maybe I know. I know. I'm gonna. I didn't expect to be doing that. I didn't expect mm-hmm. to be shoving him up at a 45 degree angle, but it's gorgeous and relaxing. And I strongly recommend if anybody is there, if you have to have a. Obviously, if you go to the hospital and the doctor's office, it's not for a, a pleasant thing. You're not going for shits and giggles. But if you're there and you have time and you're in the LA area, go there. It's really lovely and relaxing and calming. Um, hmm. I'll have to check that out. 
obviously because we took the strollers it is wheelchair accessible Mm -hmm. especially to the tables um they even have an outdoor classroom there it's just really that's so nice it's lovely okay sorry back on track I swear I took my ADD meds this morning. It's just, I I was thinking about it yesterday and that I needed to tell you about it specifically um, because it's just really nice. No, I'm glad. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, We have a lot more people following us now, so. Yeah. Man in the hat. We'll talk about that later. Oh, my gosh. uh, the, The responses we got to it are fucking hilarious. They are. It's Zara. I'm not going to talk about it now. We So we... We've been talking about man in the hat. I'm not going to talk about it now. Oh shit! Sorry, we will never. I thought you said we can talk about it now. Sorry, hearing. Carry on. Book report. Shit! I'm shouting now. I'm so sorry. Okay. I swear I'm taking my my Vivance. I swear to fucking God, it's just (laughs) I'm getting used to it again, and it's got to kick in. Speaking of kicking in, I got my Botox for migraine on Do Friday. Do you see what you just did? Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Carry on. Fuck. <laughs> oh, I also posted one more thing. Now I you're reposted just doing it on in purpose. A, no, I'm not. I reposted in our stories. There's a wonderful account called ADHD Love by a UK couple. Yes, that where account the, is great. The female partner is really fucking, she's a squirrel. And they have their own dictionary definitions of adhd things and i love them and i reposted it because it's a wonderful resource for people with severe adhd hello um me um to normalize it and not feel like such a crazy pants but also for partners and work colleagues and you know what pod wives like joy to see it and be like oh that explains a lot oh no i understand it oh i know you do okay yeah good point but like it's anyway Right. I mean, um, I have problems of my own. <laughs> okay, let's carry on, shall we? Book report. My book report is on uh, the historical aspects of the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Yay. All right. So, Freeland Oscar Stanley mm. lived June 1st, 1849 to October 2nd, 1940. He was an American inventor, entrepreneur, hotelier, pronunciation, and architect. He's the founder of the Stanley Hotel, which is known as the landmark of Estes Park in Estes Park, Colorado. Originally, you know, as we talk a lot of times on the show, the indigenous peoples of the Americas were already living, using, communing with, habitating on this land long before any Anglo white people showed up and put a flag in the earth. The Ute people, the Arapaho people, and other indigenous peoples had been using the valley where Estes Park is located for thousands of years. And not like two, like 5,000 years, (laughs) for a very long time. Um, The Ute regularly hunted and fished in the valley And then later in the 17 and 1800s, the Arapaho began harvesting lodgepoles in the valley. Um, The park, just the word park in this term, in mountaineering terms, means valley. So it's really Estes's Valley. And it's named after, color me surprised, the first Anglo settler there, Joel Estes. But of course. 
Um, so before we get into Stanley himself, I want to talk briefly about another figure during this time who was also an outgoing entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, this will sort of help set the stage for what life was like and what people were doing in this area in America at the time. So Wyndham Thomas, Wyndham Quinn, the fourth Earl of Dunraven, was an Irish baronet. <laughs> he was interested in the financial possibilities of Estes Park for a, quote, playground for the wealthy and elite, end quote. The problem he had was that the Homestead Act of six, uh, blah, 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 blah. the Homestead Act of 1862 allowed American citizens to claim 160 acres of land open for settlement. Oh, but of course, but foreigners like himself were not allowed to file claims. So, just so you understand, <laughs> all you really had to do to claim a place for the Homestead Act was not like erect an entire cabin and have a fully functional homestead on it. Instead, you could just sort of go out there and lay like four logs in a square and call it a building. And then you get your claim. Oh, yay. Industrious Dunraven. <laughs> he goes out and enlists a bunch of random people. They go get their claims. And then he buys the claims from them. Let me guess. He bought it for like 50 cents. Oh, I don't know what he paid them, but he got 60,000 acres. <laughs> it wasn't just like a couple of random dudes. Like he had a thing going on. <laughs> um, so he's got 60,000 acres and it's private hunting for himself and his guests. He makes the first hotel in the area in 1878. And calls it the Estes Park Hotel. <laughs> but because Americans have been Americans from the beginning, the locals used to just call it the English Hotel, which I'm sure rubbed him eight ways sideways since he was actually Irish. Makes sense. <laughs> so <clears throat> the Estes Park Hotel is like the fanciest thing in the whole area. I think they had like a couple of fires in the early 1900s. And right about the time that our good friend, the Dunraven, was looking to get rid of the land, our new friend, F.O. Stanley, showed up. And they kind of showed up at the time where he wanted to get rid of land and F.O. wanted land. So they did a little deal. Before we get to that, because that is sometime in the future, let's talk about Stanley. Because he's not from Colorado. He and his twin brother, Francis, so it's Freeland and Francis Stanley, the twins from back east, were born in Maine and raised in New England. They're both inventors. They're both super stubborn, but like really smart and kind of ahead of their time. When they were younger, they both learned how to whittle and they realized they could use, they could just like whittle toys for money and sell them. <laughs> I'm like can you very... imagine that surprise skill? Oh, I can whittle. Isn't well, I, I'm sure someone taught them how to whittle, but everything I found out about them, like hard relate. So they both learned how to whittle and they realized they could just whittle toys and make money selling them. And then because they're in Maine, you know, people are getting ready to tap the trees for maple syrup. They started making buckets and selling the buckets for maple syrup. So I'm just like, how the fuck do you whittle a bucket? Well, I believe you get the boards and then put straps around the boards. I don't know that you whittle an entire bucket that would use like a whole tree. I don't know. I'll look into it. 
<laughs> I mean, there are always stumps. There's always a stump. There's always a stump around, right? <laughs> um, so it seems like right from the get-go, they were industrious, they saw a need for a product, and they were happy to fill that space. But they're, uh, they're, they had a real big claim to fame when they were older, and they invented dry plate photography. This was a huge advancement because wet plate photography was very cumbersome. It took a long time. There was a lot to carry around, and it was really difficult to set up for photography in the, those days. So inventing dry plate was like this phenomenal thing that the two brothers Stanley did. Um, the Stanley Dry Plate Company was born, and they did very well in this business. George Eastman, who owned Kodak, was like, hey, brothers, what's up? I noticed this new thing you made. Could I maybe like buy this from you? <laughs> so they sold him the dry plate company in 1904 for $500,000. Whoa, that's a lot. What shit ton of money for 1904, right? Wait, can I do a quick calculation and find out how much it is right now? Absolutely. Typey type type typey type type. Okay. Calculator. Five zero 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 zero. Calculate. Holy mother of God. Sixteen million six hundred and thirty-three nine hundred and eighty-eight dollars and seventy-six cents. Holy shit. Yeah. Jesus Louisas. <clears throat> so they have an insane amount of money. To my knowledge, they didn't go on vacation with this money. Why? They just took that fortune and made the first steam-powered automobile. Well. Stanley Steamer. Oh, oh uh, my God, like the carpet cleaning company. Yes, but because my brain is riddled with strange citations, it immediately went, oh, this obviously must be the basis for Stanley, the deceased Radiator Springs founder in the cars universe from disney oh my god that actually makes sense congratulations i know so i looked it up and i was right <laughs> so there you go mm -hmm. um but at the time there were steam powered gas powered and electric powered horseless carriages and uh this was like the first of their kind the Stanley Steamer actually broke the land speed record for the time Shut and up. was called the flying teapot but let's face it, they they really didn't have that much competition. So no, they. I mean, there was a good ten years from what I looked oh. at, where steam, gas, and electric were all sort of vying for the one that would come out on top and be like oh. the standard. Yeah. So there was a while where people were just sort of like tooling around in what the fuck ever, as okay. long as well, then... there was a road, because there weren't many. So do you remember I mentioned they were stubborn? Well, um, yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> their stubbornness sort of let technology pass them by and they never really like changed the steamer with the times. So, you know, gas powered one out for a very long time um, and whatever automobile history for another day. In his 50s, Stanley got tuberculosis and his doctor prescribed that he moved to Colorado like a lot of people who ended up with TB and had the means to do so because it helped to alleviate the symptoms with the high, dry atmosphere of the region. That makes sense. So a little bit about Mr. Stanley and what he looks like, which I feel like might help with uh, your portion of the program. He was the quintessential New England gentleman, always dressed to the nines with a bowler hat 
had a Northeastern accent. He was 5'10", but because of the way that he like carried himself, he always looked taller. He was soft-spoken and known as a genuinely nice guy. He was one of the very early conservationalists. And when he came to the Valley in 1903, he immediately fell in love with it. He was 54 years old when he arrived. And before he left at the end of that summer, he bought 5,300 square feet for a summer cottage. He was just like, I love it here. This is it. At age 59, he embarked on the last chapter of his life in building a legacy that is still remembered today. He loved the community. He, um, one of the people interviewed in a show that I watched about this, who said that he actually saw the future. That's how she puts it. And that quote is from Madame Vera, who is the resident psychic at the Stanley Hotel. Oh, may as well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, He met his wife, Flora, who was a teacher in town, and she taught for a few years and then became a housewife. She was also very soft-spoken, loved music, and was apparently very particular about how everything looked. Oh, sounds like someone I know. (laughs) (laughs) That seems a little more like... Like she I mean, seemed very proper. Soft, yeah, not very, soft-spoken and, you know, quiet. But... I'm extremely demure. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> Listen up, you asshole. Exactly. Um, but she, uh, the music room in the hotel is hers. It's got the piano in it. And, um, you know, the same Madame Vera was saying that she was very particular about her things and she liked them a certain way and real high class. And, you know, that music room was really hers. So I'm very interested to see what people say about what they see in and around the music room. F.O. decides he wants to build this hotel. He didn't know shit about shit about building hotels or running hotels, but he just goes ahead and decides he's going to one-up the Earl and build a bigger and finer hotel and a larger overall hotel complex than the Earl did. And just like that, the hotel is built. It is built in the Georgian architecture, the, the Georgian architecture design, And it's on a hillside looking down to the rest of the town below, which at the time is basically just a bunch of flimsy wood buildings in the valley. It took 300 people working 24-7 for two years. I'm just going to say that sounds like an episode of Extreme Makeover Home Edition. (laughs) Let's get a bunch of people. Yeah. (laughs) They can work around the clock. We'll build something massive in a very short amount of time. You know, there was that one, the English hotel was like the only one there and it was just a really tiny town. So this consistent work really boosted the economy. It boosted tourism. Uh, Stanley decided that he wants electricity in the hotel, but not just like a couple of lamps. He's like, no, I want the entire hotel to be electrified. And you know, just as a side note, the Dunravens was not electrified at the time. So he's really just t- twisting that dagger there in that guy's side. Um, so in order to have electricity, you have to have a power plant. There isn't a power plant. So Stanley says, I'll build one. Here we go. Hydro power plant on the Fall River. Boom. He builds everything that he needs because there's literally nothing in the industrial realm there at all. Uh, He builds sewers 
He gives land for the landfill. He builds a nine-hole golf course. The reservoir and lake that's there now was actually Stanley land because he gave that land for the reservoir. Like he wasn't just I love that. He's kind of a philanthropist, but like for the town, like he's not just in it for himself. He's giving back right. to the community because they gave so much. I love that man. Rich people yeah. like not being selfish dicks is my jam. It's cool, right? And he gets actually even cooler in a second. If you have a scary story of your own that when you listen to us, you think, oh, I should send my stuff in, email us at theresidualspodcast at gmail.com. We also have Instagram, the underscore residuals underscore podcast. Hang on. I need a coffee. Did you know you could buy me a coffee? No, really. You can keep your faithful Frady Cat hosts fueled at buymeacoffee.com slash the residuals. That's B-U-Y-M-E-A-C-O-F-F-E-E dot com slash the residuals. You can buy us just one coffee or multiple coffees. You can buy them individually or a bunch at once. I'm just very tired and I need this to get by. Oh, I second that emotion, Joy. Also, buy our merch. Go to tpublic.com slash user slash the hyphen residuals hyphen podcast. That is T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C dot com slash user slash the hyphen residuals hyphen podcast. Now, the hyphen is the one little line that floats horizontally in the middle. That's right. Don't forget to like, rate, review us on your streaming platform of choice. P.S. This could be your ad right here. We could be reading it very professionally in this portion of our show. Yeah. Should we get back to the show? Oh, heck yeah. All right. All right. So not only, like we're saying, did it help the hotel, but the entire valley thrived because of this. And in addition, because of his connections in the Northeast, because he was already this big prominent figure there, he could go put pressure politically on the right people. So he got a national park set up in the area. Like he did actual conservationist things. He brought automobiles to Estes Park. And interestingly... Estes Park never got a railroad station. There was not a railroad nearby. So how was anybody supposed to get the fuck to his hotel? <laughs> so he said, hold on. Oh my God. This motherfucker says, watch. <laughs> Here we go. I am now instituting the auto stage service, which is basically a steam powered bus service to go to and from the closest railroad right to the hotel. So back and forth, he brings everybody. Um, over the course of his time there, he helps to incorporate a bank. He gives land for the first school. And he basically just sort of takes care of what needs to be taken care of for the good of the community. He eventually became known as the Grand Old Man of Estes Park. So really, from a paranormal perspective, he could be haunting anywhere there. I mean, if this was like a place that you worked so hard for and you loved so passionately... Like, why wouldn't you want to stick around? You basically made your own version of heaven. Wouldn't you want to stay there? 
So the hotel was modeled after the great hotels of Newport, Rhode Island and others in New England, which we've talked about before and we know that I love. These were places that wealthy family would come in and spend their summers. There's even a story about like the first guests that came to the hotel. Like they probably thought they were coming to this like grand, amazing place. And they end up on this tiny, twisty little road in like a canyon. And no one's ever seen a bear before. And there are like bears up on the hill. But that sounds like your fucking dream. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) It gets worse. A bear stands up and it looks at the car. And you're in a Stanley steamer on this tiny ass road with a whole bunch of other people. And you can't turn around and go anywhere. And the bear starts charging the car. Thank God it beat the land speed record at the time because you need to just fucking boogie. It wasn't that one. Oh, no. So the car driver stands up and says, don't worry, ma'am. This happens all the time. And gets a gun out and shoots the bear. And then they're like, LOLOLJK. It's just a dude in a bear suit. Welcome to the Stanley Hotel. Okay, no, that's not a that's not an LOL moment. That's a that's a no. The way that the story was told was that only Mr. and Mrs. Stanley and the guy in the suit knew there was a guy in the suit. And I was like, please tell me the guy who had the gun also was in on this joke. No, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no on that. <laughs> so anyway, being it was out in this beautiful wilderness, plus all the industrial comforts. It lured the wealthy to come out with their entire entourage, like whole family, nannies, maids, everybody. They stayed for a month. Sometimes they stayed for the whole summer. However, the hotel never actually made a lot of money. And the only reason it didn't shut down immediately was because FO had such deep pockets and he and Flora never had children. Nobody to leave it to. Might as well just spend it all on my hotel. In the late spring, every year, he would show up with, you know, a wad of cash, pay off all of his bills, stay until the end of the season, and then he'd go back to New England for the winter and then come back and do the whole thing, the same thing the next year. By the late 1920s, he would have been in his 70s and he sold the Stanley to a very interesting person. Um, this guy was named Roe Emery. He started the Rocky Mountain tours with his tour buses. And he basically is the father of Colorado tourism. So the sort of tourism route that Stanley started, Emery took it to the next step. I like that. So next level. Shift. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting. Yeah. There were a bunch of subsequent owners after that. Um, But nobody really had a lot of success. And it spent about five decades barely being able to stay open. On one fateful evening in 1974, all of that was about to change. Because in October of 1974, Stephen King stayed the night at the Stanley Hotel. Oh, yes. So I don't know if you remember this. Stephen King is from Maine, and he grew up hearing about the Stanleys and their companies and their ingenuity, and he sort of just had them on his radar. So at the time, he was a struggling author. He'd not really had a bestseller, and he was living in Boulder for a while. Towards the end of the season in October of 1974, he went up and stayed at the Stanley for a night, and he was there right as they were closing. 
and he got to watch this great, big, fantastic hotel close down for the winter. It was so inspiring that he went on to write The Shining, which was his first major bestseller. Nice. Right? (laughs) I want to say just a couple of things about links in the historical research that I found to paranormal spiritual stuff. Not going to go into it a lot because I feel like you will probably cover it. That's going to be my show. Um, But the park has been a place to come and seek visions of spirits for thousands of years. Not even a mile and a half away from the Stanley Hotel is Old Man Mountain, which is a really tall sort of peak that looks over the rest of the town of Estes Park. Okay. Um, In a sense, the Stanley Hotel is built in spirit central. (laughs) Well, that makes sense if there was... uh... Native Americans living there for 5,000 years. It was a regular place where indigenous peoples traveled to commune with the spirits and have vision quests and do a whole bunch of other things. Wow. Madam Vera said, Estes Valley is spiritual. The nature makes it spiritual. People came here to relax, enjoy life, and have a good time. And that's why I think they come back. They had a really good time in the building. I always think of the hotel as this place where the spirits come to party. Oh, I love that. And the last quote of hers I'll give you is, the building holds energy like smoke in the walls. (gasps) And I was like, that's such a good way of explaining it. So anyway. You can go into more of the paranormal stuff. And that's actually giving me an insight and some thoughts that I will be probably including. Perfect. Um, So fast forward. Yeah. I want to say a little bit about the current owner because it's important to the original owner. Um, The current owner of the Stanley Hotel is John Cullen. He's the president of the Grand Heritage Hotel Group. And he said that he has not seen a ghost in the Stanley, but there have been some, quote, incredible coincidences or things that he can't explain. (laughs) He does say that a lot of the guests claim to have seen ghosts. Right. In 1995, Cullen was the third bid on the Stanley Hotel at a bankruptcy auction. And he was like, came in with a super low bid, right? Didn't expect to get it. But somehow the other two, didn't work out and he needed it was like 3.5 million or something that they had to pay for the Stanley and he was only 29 years old (gasps) so the portion of money he needed for a down payment on this auction was $57,000 okay his previous job had given him a bonus of $50,000 And the rest, the remaining 7,000, he put on a fucking credit card. I love him. (laughs) And I'm just like, oh my God. (laughs) So he seems to have the same sort of good entrepreneurial integrity and like risk taking that would have been someone that F.O. Stanley really appreciated taking over his hotel. And I really love the fact that he hasn't sold it to a chain. Yeah, no. Like the, 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 the Del Coronado is okay. with the Hilton group, I believe. Yeah. I mean, he's the president of this Grand Heritage Hotel group. Right, so maybe right, they right. have a lot. But I think that this was the first one that he bought when he was younger because this was 95 that he bought it. So I, can just, I, can, I can barely like balance. My, I mean, I still can't balance my checkbook at 
I had my own business at that time. So like, I mean, checkbook is like, I'm old, I'm old bitch, but you know uh, what I mean? Um, pay my bills. How's that? I could barely <laughs> like remember to pay my bills. Um, he seems to, uh, Colin seems to have come in and sort of seems to be completing the vision that F.O. Stanley had where that. there's wellness and the arts and the national park and outdoors and diversity and community and all of these things. And Colin said, my future is his past. And he just simply was a hundred years ahead of his time. Like the way that everyone reveres this guy is beautiful. Like I hope nothing ever comes out of this terrible piece of shit person. Know, <laughs> but like, 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 no, thank you. Yeah. Um. So you know, now they do a whole bunch of music and arts festivals. They built like this huge forty-five thousand square foot Stanley Film Center. They yeah, have they have the Stanley stuff. There. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that they're doing for the community that is very much in the same progression of Stanley and Flora like they would have wanted for Estes Park. So the legacy of F.O. Stanley isn't just the hotel. It's the town. It's the community. It's the lifestyle. And Cullen says that the Stanley is absolutely his greatest achievement. And if there are any spirits there, he thinks that they're happy with him. I love that. (laughs) So I did uh, some... Googling to find all of this information. I read a few articles, a little Wikipedia, um, but I watched this really great PBS documentary they had on it where they did a whole thing. Um, it's called The Colorado Experience. Mm. And it was season four, episode 12 was the whole thing about the Stanley Hotel. And I've got information in there from Dr. William Convery, who is a professor at the University of Colorado, and he's a state historian. Um, Also, James Pickering, who is a historian laureate for the town of Estes Park and an author. Um, Madam Vera says a whole bunch of stuff in there as the resident psychic. And there was another woman who I swear they never put a title card up for this poor woman's name. But she's definitely like an employee who's been there for a long time and knows a ton about the Stanley Hotel. So if anyone would like to go watch that, um, it's on PBS.org. So there's my um, book report. Oh, my God. I love it. God, I love your book reports. I'll say it every single time, but I love your book reports. It's so fun. I really like doing it. <laughs> He's such a fucking nerd. I love it. I love you, Joy. Like, I, they kept saying, like, oh, he was dressed to the nines. And I was like, the fuck does that mean? Where does that come from? So I looked it up, and I thought I would get this, like, really simple, like, it comes from the old English. No, nobody knows where to the nines came from. Some people think that it was a confusion of to thine eyes, which was an old way of saying things. There's another thing in reference to the nine muses. There's another thing in reference to maybe it was nine yards of clothing used to make something because that would have meant that you had lots of money. So I tried friends, but I got no clear answer. Well, if anyone knows, let us know. Yeah, please let me know. Do us. Um, And then next episode, we will have Emily's paranormal historical account of the Stanley Hotel, which I'm very excited about. Um, So I am interested to see if there's anyone who, any spirits who look or act like F.O. and Flora that are floating around the place. Yeah. I'm very interested to hear. Hello to our new listeners. Oh, yeah. Hi. In the interim, we're going to be doing a scare mail episode soon. Um, I'm positive that we have some listeners who 
have maybe been to Stanley Fest or have had an experience there. Oh, yes. Please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, pop us an email at the residuals podcast at gmail.com. Um, Chris, I'd, I'd love to fucking hear. Yeah, we would any, love yeah. scare mails about the Stanley, scare or mails other about hotel experiences. Yes. <laughs> um, is that what you were going to say? I was going to say the Stanley for sure. Um, the man in the hat, because mm-hmm. we are doing a little compilation bit about the man in the hat. And we would love to hear, even if it's just like a short, I woke up and I saw somebody and I couldn't move and that was it. Like, okay. I just want to hear, I want to know how many people yeah, that are you know willing to share phenomenon. and you can totally stay anonymous. So don't feel like you have to come on and tell us a whole bunch of stuff and your name yeah. and everything. Um, and then just, you know, regular scare mail. Like if you have a sort of weird story to share that you can't explain, shoot us an email. Yeah. Emily. Yeah. What are you grateful for this week? Oh, shit. Look at me on top of my shit today. Um, I've mentioned this to you. My favorite band since I was 12 is called Crowded House. Fucking love them. They were my second ever concert that I saw right before I moved to America at Wembley Stadium. And it was one of those concerts that you have a major depressive episode hangover afterwards because it was so fucking wonderful. Oh. And the emotions that I felt were so intense that afterwards I was like, oh God. So I've seen them one other time. My roommate, when I first moved to LA, surprised me with tickets to see them at the Orpheum. And I felt like such an old person because I was just swaying from side to side, singing and clapping. And she was just sitting there like, I don't know who they are. <laughs> um, they had a date scheduled in LA last year. That was my due date. Oops. And I was like, motherfucker. But unfortunately, fortunately, COVID hit um, their crew. So they had to reschedule a bunch of dates. They're now playing at the Wilton in May and I'm going. <gasps> and I don't know any other people that love them. And I was like, I don't know if, I mean, I'll go by myself because obviously, but I put a, a, a plea in our parent group bunch of people came out of the woodwork i fucking love them really? I fucking love them so now we have a gang going oh cool who will all sing with me and Yay. know the words so going back to why i'm grateful for them when my kid gets overtired to the point that he needs a nap and he's hysterical and nothing will calm him down rocking shushing machine bum pats there's a song from their first album called Four Seasons in One Day. By the time I'm halfway through singing the first verse, he's asleep. (laughs) So good. And it's like, I love this band already, but now I'm like... Now you really love them. Thank you. Yeah. And I might... I don't like people hearing me sing. Like, I used to be in a band back in the day. I fucking love karaoke. Like my go-to song is Built This City by Starship, um, uh, as you do. It's a great fucking song and maybe some Spice Girls because they're amazing. Um, but I might post a video at some point of me singing some of it with him. Yeah. That's a major vulnerability step. Um, but, yeah, I'm so grateful for that song. Um what are you grateful for, Joy? I am grateful for um, the programs that my kids' school offers that are free mm-hmm. because 
they had this group come in the end of the year before break and they did a couple of chess classes. I love that. So they got the kids really into chess. Yeah. And Enzo started coming home going, mom, can we get a chess board? It's so cool. I love chess. I love chess. Not like chess is kind of cool. Like I love chess. We need a chess board. So when we went to New York, I got a couple little like um, magnetic travel ones so we Did could you play. Did you take him to the park to play with little old men? No, but we told him that that's a thing that exists. And he was like, what? Yeah. Um, so they started doing the classes beginning of the year. Like 200 and something kids signed up for it. They have so many kids that signed up for it that they've got to do like another session. I love that. I don't know what this chess class is talking other than just chess, but they're like the half of the school is like, we need to take these I chess lessons. Um, so I'm really thankful that um, we have a school district that offers these things because they're, it, this is no cost. Like there are some after school things that, you know, cost a little bit. Um, but this is free for anyone who wanted to sign up. It's an extra hour on one of the days every week. So it's an extra hour for me to, you know, do book reports. Um, but yeah, I'm just really, it's, it's nice. Cause he'll like come home and be like, Hey mom, want to play chess? And I'm like, yeah, I don't like beat him, beat him. But I also am not just like letting him win. Okay. Well, yeah, like it's kind of like half and half. I'm not letting right. him win. But if he does a, a if he moves somewhere, I'm like, look around. Yeah. <laughs> and check my pieces before you take your finger off of that piece, please. Right. Um, but he he remembers all the moves and he knows where everybody can go. And it's just really cool. I'm really excited that he's so into chess. Oh god, I love that. I joined the chess club when I was uh in middle school really i didn't know how to play it was like when i played the cello and i couldn't like i can sight sing i can mm -hmm. i can look at a sheet of music and sing it i've always been terrible at that so kudos <laughs> i could not read the music and i would just play very quietly or airplay with the with the with the bow because i was that one that our music teacher would stop and be like who is playing out of tune? <laughs> oh, like, no. didn't, I did not know where to put my fingers on the neck. So I no. would just air play and I tried to fake it. And I did the same thing with chess club. I was like, I can no. do this. I got this. That's no. different. No. Very different. Very different. <laughs> no. Very different. So sorry. So I made it like three weeks before yeah. the, the teacher was like, maybe this isn't for you. <laughs> Well, when I picked Enzo up from chess class yesterday, the one of the teachers was like, he did a great job, but um, he really wasn't happy with the person he was paired up to play chess with. And he kept stopping and saying he didn't want to play with them because they weren't playing fair. And I was like, I think that just means he wasn't winning, but I will talk to him. <laughs> Legit. Sorry, bro. Checkmate. Anyway, are you done? Yeah. Oh, okay. Until next time, sage your sofas. And don't be afraid of the dark. But I will. Bye. Bye. How the fuck do you whittle a bucket?